Welcome to The Interrupt. My guest today is Valentin Pletnev, co-founder at Quasar. In today's conversation, we'll discuss Quasar's concentrated liquidity and liquid staking vaults. We'll talk about how Quasar works with Osmosis. We'll talk about vault creators on the platform that provides uh, strategies so you can earn yield. We'll also dive into the tech, how it all works under the hood, and we'll talk about Cosmos DeFi. I'm also dying to find out why he thinks the growing amount of Cosmos chains is currently a bearish direction for the ecosystem. Before we get started, make sure to hit the like button, hit notification bell, and subscribe to get notified when I go live every week. And be sure to remember that none of what we discuss here is investment advice. And if you enjoy this content, please consider staking with us. We're validating on FMOS, Quicksilver, Osmosis, Judo, and Nolis. Just look for Interrupt in the active set. My guest, Valentin, is coming up next, right here on the Interrupt. Jim. Jim, man, how you doing? Good. I'm great. How are you? I I, uh, I guess you're already in uh, Istanbul for Cosmoverse. Yep. Are you excited? Yep. I'm so hyped. Uh, the entire team is here. We're having an offside. Uh, it's true, pure Istanbul energy, honestly. Uh, <laughs> it's super great to be back. We've had our last offside here as well. And, uh, you know, I like this area of the world a lot. And it's it's honestly just very bullish having seeing the entire team together, everyone's in together, grinding out stuff, working out stuff, especially now with the traction picking up rapidly. It's it's a good time to be alive. You know, I'm not complaining. Great. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm coming in a couple of days. Really looking forward to it. It's going to be interesting to see. Like, I don't know what to expect, right? Because we're like, I think last year we were still, you know, not in like such deep uh, bear market territory. And um and you know ETC and, and Nebula, I think, uh, like the conferences I have, all the conferences I have in Paris, it was like, you know, it, it, we didn't really know how to sort of like position ourselves. Like, is, is it the bear market? Is it the bull market? Like, people are super excited, but all, at the same time, like markets are down, teams are having a hard time raising. And so I'm, I'm kind of curious uh, how it's going to be. Like, what the turnout will be like? Like, if I, I don't think they've sold out. Um, but uh, I think I mean, they just announced a thousand five hundred tickets sold, which is okay. Like, All right, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I think like we have to honestly just give massive props to the Decito team and the Friends Valley, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Cosmoverse team because they are carrying a lot of hype for Cosmos, and th those turnarounds are phenomenal. I mean, even right, like Colombia has a lot of crypto adoption, but most people have never been there, and the fact yeah. that so many people flew in just for the conference even having to change flights because there's almost not a direct flight to median. Like that yeah. was impressive. So I'm not, I'm, I'm pleasantly not surprised that they've already sold this many tickets and it's going to be massive. The venue is very beautiful too. I've seen it before. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm stoked, honestly. The builders are hyped, you know, obviously, as you said, kind of sad undertone because there is struggle everywhere. Like let's not ignore that. But I also feel unrelentless optimism to be a good way to fight that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And uh, I'm also like, very much looking forward to going to Istanbul. I'm I'm only going for three days, so like oh. I won't get to see the city very much. But or for four days, I guess. But then probably we'll go again for DevConnect uh, for for a little bit longer, and hopefully we'll get to see the city a bit much then. Bit it's more. very exciting. It's very yeah. it's massive. It's busy as hell. It's like so it much huge. Happening. Yeah, yeah. I think twenty million people, twenty one million, I think, and it's like uh, you know infrastructure the roads did not scale to the amount so it's completely <laughs> mayhem everywhere but it's it's you know once you lean into it it's exciting and fun yeah cool well yeah i mean so we we met i guess for the first time at nebula and we we haven't interacted very much but i'm yeah I'm curious about your background and like what made you want to build quasar yeah gladly so yeah i've been in crypto since i'm around 16 uh so pre 2017 bull run effectively um what drew me to crypto back then was, you know, I I was raised by parents that are from uh, ex-Soviet Union and Eastern, you know, so socialist republic. So not growing up with capitalism and then having to basically relearn that system as we relocated to Europe um, and kind of seeing how much financial education is lacking, how much stuff is not being explained, how many things that when we grow up in the system, we find so natural that you just don't pick up the people that didn't grow up in this. Um, I was always fascinated by money as a concept. You know, it's 
we live in a world where you know people are starving and other people have a printer right and can just print money and i was always just fascinated what is this what is happening here how does money work and on top of that i was always a nerd because uh, i used to play counter strike professionally uh, competitively in germany so build my own computers you know like every you know most people in crypto can do that but i was always a nerd so for me when i found out about crypto i was like wait a minute this combines tech money philosophy this is great this is what i want to do um it's been a long journey. It took a long time to kind of get in, especially if you're so young and you don't have connections. And there's not really a big crypto space in Germany beyond Berlin. It wasn't easy to get in, but you know, step by step, got in more and more. Was kind of the first employee of one of the first NFT startups, though the NFT implementation was for supply chain tracking, so not PFPs. Uh, went to Draper University in the Bay Area, which is Tim Draper's private university. Tim Draper should be known by most, bought the Silk Road Bitcoins, hyper bullish on Bitcoin, keeps making ludicrous statements of by what time, what price it reaches, and generally yeah. a, a pretty awesome VC who has been seed round investor in so many startups that we all know, including SpaceX and Tesla, yada, yada. So, you know, that's kind of where I got my entrance into crypto and the spirit to do something entrepreneurial. And Quasar was launched, well, we, we started it November 2021. It feels like an eternity at this point, honestly basically the month, the last month of the bull market. Um, however, at that point, we weren't really riding kind of the bull market high. It was really like, okay, you know, DeFi is a thing. This is working. This is happening. However, we have so many issues on the user experience side. We have so many issues on, on the side of kind of connecting people to benefiting from DeFi. Because when markets mature, it gets harder and harder to get good yield. And it gets harder and harder to like understand what is happening. And the more market matures, the more you have data providers, quants, experts that know what's happening and people that don't have the time to deal with what's happening. And what the mission at Quasar has always been is I want my mom and my dad to be able to download an app from the App Store, log in, have a bank account add-on like Robinhood and be able to invest into DeFi in a sensible way where it's not just a passive position in a you know LP position that loses on IL every day, but actually actively participating and riding on the back of professionals, of people that know what they're doing, that deposit capital efficiency. Um, and yeah, it's been a long time in the building. We launched the app chain March this year. And with the launch of CL in Osmosis, we've had an explosion in TBL from 500K to almost 3 million right now. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a long freaking journey with a lot of passion and also a lot of reason why we're doing this. I, I rarely ask myself why I'm doing what I'm doing and what the purpose of this is. But you, you said something there that I find kind of interesting, right? Where I think in, in previous, in the sort of previous bull cycles, like DeFi summer, et cetera, like we were all figuring out like how to uh, leverage AMMs and, and lending protocols to, to generate, uh, to generate yield, right? To generate fees on, um, well, primarily, you know, our, our, Bitcoin, ETH, and maybe USDC, and maybe a handful of other uh, currencies, but a lot, a lot of like blue chip tokens. Then uh, a bunch of other platforms came around, new tokens that came into existence, liquidity flowed into those those platforms, sort of like grew the pie generally. And th there was a lot of this kind of like yield farming. I mean, that was, I think, the, one of the major narratives of, uh, of the, you know, the 2021, um, 2020, 2021 cycles. And, and so... What, what what your um, I, I think what quasar um, uh, the sort of progression of that is like a professionalization of the allocation of capital uh, in a way that um, users no longer have to sort of like figure out like where should they be allocating my capital you have um, strategists that are effectively you know, professionals understanding the markets understanding where liquidity needs are and allocating that capital on behalf of users. Do you see this as a, a broader trend in DeFi where the stratification of capital deployment is uh, becoming more prevalent? And do you think that more and more capital will be deployed in these sort of you know, uh, asset management platforms rather than directly on the protocols themselves? Yeah, dude, great question. I mean, first thing to kind of just to really clarify is it's non-custodial products, right? So the management, like word as a management is always a bit tricky in the DeFi space because it's not what you would expect giving a hedge fund half a million dollars. 
and then getting a report from them every three months. And then if you want to exit, you write them a nice email and you hope that they wire you the money. It's not that. But yeah, in essence, you know, having your capital be guided by, by strategists and experts. Yeah, I think undoubtedly the answer to your question is a yes. I think as markets mature, it gets harder and harder to capture any return. And the returns that are vast and easy to grab in the beginning start consolidating to a very few group of people that understand the market. It, we have seen this countless of times across the world. This is a given rule of the natural evolution of the market. Gold rush, the first few months, there's gold everywhere. Everyone's making money. Five years into it, not gold everywhere anymore. You need to know the most efficient way to use your pan, the best spots to find the gold, the best equipment. It gets harder and harder to do it. And Wall Street, the same, early days of stock market. Everyone was just excited that there are stocks now. Start trading them, stuff goes up. The Great Depression hits, people realize it's not just up only, which was our, you know, their DeFi summer moment, our DeFi summer moment. And then you realize, okay, you need asset management. Um, one of the most interesting statistics, in my opinion, is in TradFi, or actually in just generally the globe, the world, a third of all assets in the entire world are managed from someone by someone. In in crypto, the number is that, that number seems surprisingly low. I I, I thought I would well, it's forty trillion dollars. Yeah. It's two times the, the the national GDP of the U.S. You know, yeah. a third of all assets. I find the number pretty pretty large for one market to capture, right? Uh, and that's all assets, uh, tangible or intangible. And if you look at crypto, that number is around two and a half percent. And I am absolutely not surprised because crypto is a young market, which means it's hard to build traction and how to build a portfolio of trust right if you have a hedge fund in new york that's been doing great returns since the, since the 80s there's a trust level you can acquire in DeFi, one trader can make 200 percent in a day and lose it all tomorrow right you just don't know if this is consistency or non-consistency so data-driven approaches are super important especially as the amount of data that you have for trading is getting better and the amount of uh, ability to capture out the last yield gets also improved with access, such as, for example, our vaults. And so the number being 3%, I think, is inevitably going to jump in crypto to at least also a third of all crypto DeFi liquidity to be managed by someone for someone, simply because it's going to get harder to get yield everywhere. And people don't want to keep checking every day if they're still in range. And even if they do that, they might not outperform someone that runs a professional strategy that is updating much faster than you in much tighter ranges. Um, and I'm excited for that shift because the ability to democratize access to asset management, right? We are a damn protocol. I always say damn cool as a joke, but DAM, decentralized asset management, um, is incredibly exciting because it allows the average Joes and anyone in the world to have exposure to expert-driven capital deployment, which is something that we consider normal in crypto right now, but is literally impossible in TradFi. You cannot go to a hedge fund with $10, just not ex doesn't exist. Um, and so, yeah, I think the trend is a very clear yes to growth. Cool. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, I think I think even for somewhat sophisticated users, you know, uh, this is a this is a positive trend. Like, I mean, I, I I have the technical ability to like deploy my capital on Uniswap or you know in like uh, supercharged liquidity pools on Osmosis. But if I can pay, you know, like 10% of my returns to someone who's going to do it a lot better and with a lot more capital and potentially like much better returns, like why, why wouldn't I do that? Right. Like I barely have time to manage my own portfolio, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. so, so le leveraging <laughs> something like this, I think, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, one thing, one thing you said, which I think is really interesting and sort of, I think is a tension that um um it's it's sort of like a tension that we um we all feel in crypto is like this this kind of like um concentration of of liquidity like you you mentioned in all markets liquidity concentrates to a, a very few right and i think in the ethos of crypto a lot a lot of uh a lot of the narratives are around uh distributing power distributing ownership like how do you um how do you uh juxtapose that with uh, the narratives of community governance, community ownership, permissionless, et cetera. Uh, yeah. Yeah. How do those two things kind of coexist? 
super gladly. So I think that the thing that needs to be really clear is we are not trying to just put hedge funds on the blockchain, right? Because that would imply custodial products, that would imply lack of transparency, that would imply gatekeeping of depositors. Um, the entire the entire ethos of DAM, at least you know proper DAM protocols, is we need to have the lowest trust assumptions possible, with the ability to have capital be guided by experts. Like that's the one sentence kind of what do we need to make sure it happens here? Um, part of the ways that that's possible is, for instance, our vault contracts have different addresses and multi-sigs that are allowed to do different actions. So for instance, a strategist or a data provider can only change ranges in the specific pool. They cannot pull liquidity out of the vault, for instance, right? So you create these very clear limits of access, basically permission levels, to ensure that it is a non-custodial product and you can pull your liquidity whenever you want and someone that is you know, the strategist of the vault cannot just simply take your entire liquidity. And I think that it's a, it's, it's hard to pull off technically, but it's a spagat worth doing. Or I don't, a, a split in English, spagat is too general. A split worth doing um, because we are effectively trying to improve TradFi, things that work in TradFi in the DeFi ethos. And the only way to do that is permissionless, non-custodial, globally accessible, decentralized. Now, when it comes to kind of the management of assets, um, I think one of the realizations crypto just has to accept, whether we like to or not, is some people know a lot about something and some don't, right? And the goal with decentralization is to democratize access to information so anyone can become part of the group of knowledgeable. But I don't think that our ethos is to make everyone, uh, like, to make everyone have a an expert level driven approach because for some people that's not the right approach some people just want to they could take their assets not vote on governance proposals and that's fine right we're building for everybody we're not just trying to build for for a subgroup and in that ethos including governance into vaults and generally into the quasar platform is something that is incredibly vital to our future roadmap simply because the purpose of the chain the purpose of quasar is to become uh in the future, a completely self-sustainable ecosystem that is completely unrelated to any dev team whatsoever. And for that to happen, we need to build infrastructure where some strategists can come in and start managing a position for other people without the ability to rack. There needs to be the ability for anyone to uh, bridge their assets in with IBC and deposit into any vault, independent of you know if they are, yeah, we don't have to grant permission for that. And so I think DAM is actually incredibly crucial and core to the ethos of crypto because one of the most gate-kept areas in TradFi is, is asset management because returns are high because the the accessibility is low and because it's just you know people helping each other out if you look at millennium fund millennium fund is a hedge fund in new york that is i think the best performing hedge fund ever the average return is like 30 percent a year it's ludicrous completely incredible and they have locked any, well, no one else can deposit into them. They just manage their own capital at this point because of how much they're making. They, they don't want to manage for anyone else. They're managing their own capital only. And so by the crypto ethos, that is as antithesis as possible, right? So what we have to do is break down the barriers and allow depositing for people and let the free market decide which APR works for it, which APY works for it. Interesting. Um, so what are some of the... Um you know, earlier uh, generations of yield optimizing products or vaults, you know, I'm thinking of like urine, for instance, you know, what are some, what are some <coughs> of the products that have inspired Quasar and how does Quasar improve on, on some of those early, uh, earlier ideas? Absolutely. So yield aggregation has been around since DeFi has been around, right? Yield aggregation, meaning one thing, basket of funds doing the same thing. Right, that's yield aggregation. Um, and it's been, yield aggregation has effectively been as complicated or changed the world for advanced as underlying DeFi has been. So in the early days of DeFi, when you had just full range capital deployment in Uniswap, then the only thing a vault provider can do is deposit full range for you, maybe into two or three pools, right? Because there was nothing else that you could do. Then when lending markets came out, suddenly you can do an improvement. So instead of someone having to just loop their assets by themselves, you know, borrow, lend, borrow, lend, and, and, and increase their leverage, a vault can do that for you, right? So leveraged vaults were like kind of one of the rudimentary first versions. And then as 
you have next generations of DeFi products. You have Uni V3 custom ranges. You have custom fees. You have just everything starts becoming floating and customizable. So do vaults get more advanced. Um, one of the things that we are advancing on is we are a weird aggregation app chain, uh, IBC enabled. And that's kind of the core, right? Because the thesis that we are setting up as Quasar is Cosmos as a narrative has faced some backlash sometimes, right? Because what is Cosmos? We are kind of a big dysfunctional family, as Django would say, right? But one thing that's undisputed throughout of all of Cosmos that we're all writing behind is IBC, because it's our ARC reactor, our gift to the entire crypto space. A, a lowest trust assumption, you, you can't quite say trustless, but like lowest trust assumption bridge in all of crypto being IBC is an undisputable public good for the entire space. How many bridge hacks have been there? How many millions have been lost in bridges? How, how often do people give up everything that DeFi is about just for a bit of convenience to bridge their assets? Not realizing that for the entire time they're holding bridged assets, their underlying is at risk, right? Way too many times. And so if we look at IBC, we look at the base layer of the future communication standard for all of crypto. And if we want to continue the ethos of breaking down barriers, what we need to do is to allow capital to not be discriminated against. What we mean by that is, why should you be able to only deposit into a single chain? What if you want to move your capital somewhere else? What if there is a different opportunity? What if there's a different asset you want? And if the only way to do this bridges, it's massively risky and not a pleasant experience versus in a future where any chain becomes IBC enabled, we have Union working on ETH IBC, Composable on Polkadot IBC, uh, Near is coming, I think Binance chain, like there's a lot of projects that are working on integrating IBC. We suddenly have a cohesive user experience that combined IBC into a, like users will just be able to interact with different chains, not realizing they're doing that, which is the same as the internet is currently built. Do you know which server uh, StreamYard is currently running on, Seb? Do you know if it's Azure or Google Cloud or you don't? And you don't care, you don't have to. All you care about is does the site work? Is it loading? Is it giving me what I want? And the same thing is going to happen to crypto. We're always gonna have the nerds that also exist in the cloud world that keep debating and fighting if AWS is better than Azure or Google Cloud, but end users just want the best product. And IBC is a facilitator for that in us. So IBC-driven yield aggregation is really important because once we have that, we need to be able to consolidate opportunity of the new interconnected blockchain Web3 world into a singular user interface, into a singular app, into a singular position where people can pick and choose what they want to invest into independently of the underlying chain. That's what makes us unique. And also, as I've mentioned before, the safety mechanisms around our vaults and how we've structured them to be non-custodial. So before we get into to the product, uh, I wanted to also ask you, like, so one of the other products I think that's very similar to Quasar is Sommelier. Um, how is Quasar, like, how do you differentiate Quasar from Sommelier? Uh, how, how, yeah, what's the, what's yeah. the main differentiator? Gladly. So if we look architecturally, just, you know, neutrally, not judging, just architecturally, uh, SOM is an app chain, Quasar is an app chain. SOM uses a fork of Gravity Bridge to send signals from the, from the SOM chain to execute strategies on Ethereum. So all, all SOM vaults are Ethereum vaults. So they're, they're on Ethereum, they have access to Ethereum liquidity. That's what they're doing. Um, Quasar is an app chain that has IBC capabilities and that is using IBC or outpost model vaults, so contracts on osmosis, soon on other chains as well, to manage liquidity in the cosmos. So the first very clear differentiator is Ethereum and Cosmos. That's number one. Number two is also um, kind of, I think, I don't want to speak for someone here because I don't know the plans, but um, has to do with kind of how permissionless do you want to make vault creation, right? Which there is no fault. I think there's just different philosophies on that because both paths have very own issues and kind of things to look out for. But what we are trying over here is to get to a point where uh, a data provider, a strategist deploying a strategy only needs to know Python, which is the language for strategies, Python scripts. And that's it and doesn't need to talk to any team or any smart content developer. And they just have a dashboard to deploy their strategies, pick the pool, pick the destination, pick whatever chain it is. And there you go, donezo, right? Um, it's, it's a bit of a different approach. Um, however, we are good friends with Sommelier because the DAM market is like gonna grow 100x or more from now because as DeFi also grows, there's a leverage of DAM growing on top of the DeFi growth simply because we are 3% and we sh I think we should end up at 
33% of all assets being in damn protocols. And so if anything, we both share the same vision of trying to get the same user group to, to use a similar product and spread the gospel of kind of how important this is. Because what we do as protocols is increase capital efficiency, which is better for swappers, for traders, for LPs, for strategists. It's better for everyone. Capital efficiency is really what DeFi strives for. Um, and also, you know, we, we're getting closer to their team. Um, when is this going to release? Tomorrow. <laughs> Basically, okay. when we're releasing. So then I would say watch my speech on Monday uh, yeah. as well on, on Cosmoverse. But we have our first collaboration coming up with Sommelier, which is going to be really exciting. It's going to prove again to, you know, thankfully, we don't get this question anymore, actually. We used to get it much more. So people are starting to understand the differences. But I think this is going to put the nail in the coffin of uh, trying to make us fight each other. I mean, one of the last memes around that is me and Zaki fighting in Osmocon, right? Which was like, <laughs> they thought it was funny. You know, we kind of said like, sure. I, I wasn't initially supposed to fight someone else. That person chickened out and they thought, <laughs> let's just make the bald people fight. Like, okay, sure. But in reality, I had a great chat with him the day before. I had a great chat with him the day after. Um, and I think that the differences are vast enough that we are both our own standing protocols that don't need to be stained by, well, what about X, mm, right? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I think also, like, at least currently, it seems like you're going after a very different user base. Um, yeah. And like Sommelier, <laughs> in its current in its current iteration, is, is essentially like, is it really well constructed? I mean, it, it, it's sort of like an orchestrator for liquidity on, a, on Ethereum. And, uh, you know, that, that, that works really well. And I mean, like, you can deploy uh, capital on Ethereum and like, earn yield there, whereas like your approach has been very much to align yourself with Cosmos and yeah. um, and cater to Cosmos users, those that are using uh, the you know people who have Atom, who have uh, Osmo, who have you know native USDC. Hopefully, if one Cosmos day, right? like, wants to survive, we need to mature our DeFi, and yeah. we're very proud to be helping with that because that's necessary. If 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 a if a DeFi market of non Ethereum doesn't mature, then that ecosystem is dead. That's been, yeah. if you look at any ecosystem that's been on downfall, it's because the DeFi hasn't matured. So it's, yeah. it's vastly important for us to do that. Yeah, take note, EOS. Um. <laughs> God, you reminded me of EOS. Oh my God. Uh, I haven't thought about that for a long time. <laughs> my God. Honestly, yeah. the, the, the best thing they did was just not sell their ETH. <laughs> Incredible that that worked. Yeah, so many protocols just have, are just like sitting on hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, anyways, uh, let, let's talk about the product because we've, we've been kind of going off on all sorts of philosophical high-level stuff here. So what, what is a Quasar Vault? Like how, how does it work? Uh, what's happening in the background? Like I, So I just did this for the first time. Actually, while I was prepping for this, I was like, oh, I'm going to like deposit some money in Quasar. And uh, and then you guys had some kind of like maintenance thing going on. So yeah. I don't know if there's some new features or something. Yes. But, yes, but basically, I, I uh, oh, okay, the dashboard, right. Ah, cool. I'll have to look at this. But yeah, basically, uh, I, I did my first deposit. I've already, I already made a couple of, well, pennies on the dollar, I guess, uh, for the small deposit. But the experience was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, what's happening in the background? Um, Yes. Where where is my money, and yes. like how am I interacting with it through Quasar? Yeah, gladly. So we currently have two designs in production. Uh, one of them we're going to slow development on until some of the underlying infrastructures improve. But one of the designs we have is our ICA ICQ implementation, which is our old vaults. Which full disclaimer for anybody, we do not further recommend depositing to those because they are on old osmosis pools. With CL, we recommend people to move their funds to CL. Um, but that infrastructure is effectively the first in-production interchain or cross-chain smart contract in all of DeFi, period. Not even just Cosmos. Um, the smart contracts for these vaults sit on the Quasar chain and execute actions. Wait, on which, which ones are these? Sorry, which Cosmo which Pro and Atom Pro are the ones that are not recommended for deposit anymore as they are on basically osmosis like uni v2 version of osmosis full range amm only right okay so that's the lp strategy yes uh okay so for some reason i thought those were liquid staking uh pools no. but those are actually just um unconcentrated those liquidity pools where they deposit with three different pools so effectively yeah. instead of having just 50 percent exposure to the asset name so osmo pro not only have 15 
it's 66 to 75, which makes your exposure to not that asset lower. Um, and also, yeah, the ability to basically deposit to multiple pools that are used for that asset at the same time. So it's just, yeah, that was what back then before CL launched was the kind of best deployment version for that. Mm-hmm. And now that CL is live, uh, it's, it's an old version product effectively. But Got it. what we did technically there, like on a technical level, is flex pretty hard, to be honest. Uh, because it was the first in-production ICA and ICQ implementation. ICA being interchain accounts and ICQ being interchain queries. What that means in non-nerd talk is our smart contract sits on Quasar, can query the osmosis chain. So querying is asking it for information, can analyze that information and can do an action for the user on osmosis without being deployed on osmosis. And that's the first time ever in, in DeFi that you've had a cross-chain smart contract. This contract doing stuff on a chain it's not on. Because that's like, you know, I don't think I need to explain that that's, that's a crazy feat. However, and that's where I'm going to be honest with everyone and like not lie and people that have been with us for a long time know this. It's not the most stable infrastructure. Not the most stable doesn't mean that we ever lost any funds. But it means that sometimes deposits didn't work. Sometimes withdrawals didn't work. Reason for that is I see... IBC by itself is a novel technology, and ICQ and IC on top of that are incredibly ex- experimental and new. So you're basically building on multiple new stacks that have not been battle tested on every corner. And we have done the equivalent of basically asking those, those uh, yeah, IC and ICQ that have effectively, if they were a post office, been sending letters, we came to them, we're like, hey, what if you send a plane? Can you please send a plane through the post, right? And that's effectively what, like, I think... When we actually launched the vault, it took one and a half seconds for the relayers to die because the amount of transactions and data went through, they were just never conceived for that. So yeah. we had, they had to be immediately upgraded to huge props to Strangelove. But yeah, so that's the old infrastructure. The new infrastructure, which is what I think is the most interesting for most people, is a so-called outpost model. So our currency outvaults sit on osmosis. That's why the experience, you said the experience was so pleasant. The contracts are on osmosis. You've deployed contracts there. Yes. And the reason that the experience for you was so smooth is because we we see your osmosis balance and you can immediately deposit from osmosis. Okay. Um, So so that's that's interesting because I I think there's... I mean, is is the jury out then on whether the... um, uh, on whether the right way to architect these sorts of cross-chain applications is to do ICA, ICQ, but maybe like with some better relayer technology and like upgraded yeah. sort of systems there, or is it the outpost model, which, yeah. but, but which, de- which requires uh, smart contract deployment and management and orchestration across like tons of different chains yes. and a lot more overhead yes. and just, you know, complexities. Argue, well, arguably less because it depends obviously on the, under- on, it depends on how much overhead is on the, on the IBC implementation. Um, yeah. So um, I think the jury is not fully out yet on that. Um, I think that we, we kind of guinea pig ourselves uh, with ICA and ICQ. We kind of like shot ourselves so far into this rabbit hole for the ecosystem to show, is this like a feasible infrastructure layer for vaults? And t- turns out, you know, not right now. Uh, we came back with battle wounds um, versus the outpost model, which obviously means it's not as interoperable as ICA and ICQ, but in effect, it is better simply because ICA and ICQ are just not mature enough on a lot of aspects. Um, so what we currently deem to be the preferred version kind of future uh, deployment of IBC-enabled smart contracts is going to be hybrid between deploying local smart contracts on the destination chains, so the outpost model, but interconnecting them through IBC using the Quasar chain to be able to interact with the other locally deployed smart contracts. What is that, what that going, what's that, what, what is going to be easy around that is you have the execution logic and the action logic of the vaults local in the destination of the yield or of the deposits, which severely reduces complexity. And most, almost all issues we've had with the legacy design was because of the IBC messaging, not the underlying smart contract. Um, and then having them be able to call and interact with the other locally deployed smart contracts on other chains using IBC, which is going to allow to interconnect products to different IBC chains as well, which is inevitably one of the final visions for Quasar, as I've mentioned before, in IBC interconnectability, abstracting away the chains and just offering better products on top of that. 
So the strategy logic would lie on the on the quasar chain, and then the execution logic would lie then no, just on the the no the 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 smart contracts which en encompass both effectively would be on the local chains, but then these contracts in the future version, what we're going to work on, you know, I would say next year probably, are going to be able to interact with other quasar vaults on different chains, so that for example, we could have actions like. Uh, you LP into USDT, USDC, you get the vault chair, you take the vault chair to Mars. So our contract on osmosis sense, oh, okay, Mars is a bad example because it's also on osmosis. But let's say Yumi, just for the sake of explaining what we're talking about, sending it to Yumi and depositing it as collateral, loaning against it and looping it so you are effectively 3x leveraged. Okay. So now we suddenly have an action of different contracts on different chains. But the logic of what is happening is not being sent from one chain to another, it's actions being sent. Okay, this this kind of I guess answers my one of the other questions that I, I had was why build an app chain and why not just build on osmosis? Uh, yeah. In the case of Lavana or Mars. Yeah. And, and I guess the answer is there because like, the long term vision is, is for uh, Quasar to also interface with other app chains, other DeFi protocols, on other absolutely. Chains. Uh, yeah. The the interoperability aspect is core to our ethos. And look, osmosis is our home, it's going to be our home for a long time. And it is the prime yield situation in all of Cosmos. So undoubtedly the right place for us to be. And we have very good relationships with the, with the guys over there. But for a better user experience, there's always going to be stuff that needs to accommodate the Osmosis user experience. Even just Levana and Mars is already add-ons to the Osmosis experience. And there's going to be a future once we have ETH IBC, where suddenly you're looking at this and you have two baskets of different DeFi products. You have Ethereum, high liquidity, low yield, and you have Cosmos, low liquidity, high yield. And you're going to be asking yourself, wait a minute, we can start meshing this. We can, we can start doing stuff around this. And once we do that, the chain is going to be a vital part of this because it's going to be orchestrated off the IBC uh, messages. Also, it is uh, a massive improvement when it comes to also um, the yeah, legal standing of a protocol, right? We have an entire, we have validators said it's independent. We have tokenomics that are independent. Governance that is completely independent. So we're not reliant on another token for governance, which means vault development, deployment is governance-based. Um, fee structure is governance-based. Distribution is governance-based. Everything becomes properly decentralized in an app chain. Um, so there's quite a lot of reasons for this. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, I, I'm going to take this opportunity to ask you about your, your hot take which was uh, the, the growing amount of Cosmos chains is currently a bearish direction for the ecosystem. That seems to contradict yes. everything you just said. So yes. Uh, yes. walk us through this hot take. Gladly. So one of the things to consider if you are a yield aggregator such as us to kind of talk about the contradiction is that we are a neutral player. The goal is, well, if we say we don't want to, uh, to have capital be discriminated against, that also means that if there is now, let's say a hub war, or a DEX war or a lending war whatsoever, the goal for us radically is to offer the users the best experience and the highest API. So we are not picking political sides by design. So if we were deployed locally on osmosis, we can see this right now with, there's a lot of protocols where you kind of are starting to see this rift between are you neutron focused or are you osmosis focused? We don't want to have any part of that. That's, that, that would immediately lower the user experience quality in, my, in our opinion. So and an independent app chain, secures us for this. However, and this is where the difference comes in. The bear market now is so deep and so rough that the luxuries of building out this infrastructure for the benefits that we currently see, many teams don't have that anymore because of funding mounts of, of the you know how 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 much they can raise, what the current market is saying. And we have they have to be much more radical in what they're spending funds on. And in this current market, the one thing that kills everything else in importance is product market fit. And currently, with the amount of different app chains in all of Cosmos, you are going to find an app chain that covers what you need to explore if you have product market fit. And you can always move to an app chain after that once the bull market comes back and you have the luxury to be able to, the, to use funding and resources on that. So I think that what you, the last point to consider with my, contradict, with my statement there is liquidity hasn't increased in Cosmos. 
And one of the worst things that keep happening in Cosmos, and if someone for some reason has our seed round pitch deck from January 2022, we are mentioning this there, fragmentation of capital is killing ecosystems. Uh, if ca the same amount of money is being distributed to more and more and more destinations, all of them become less interesting. I see sometimes people being, uh, you know, I, for some reason happy that uh, Osmosis liquidity is going down, right? And being like, oh yeah, you know, Osmosis is not good, da, da, da. it's good that it's going somewhere else. But inevitably, Cosmos needs Osmosis. It needs deep liquidity. It needs efficient swaps. It needs efficient trading. Um, and so if you have this reality for the time being where our total liquidity is not increasing, increasing the amount of destinations is incredibly bearish. We don't do that because all our liquidity is using underlying DeFi products of other chains and protocols, right? We're not our own thing. All our liquidity is on osmosis and it's going to be on all the other new destinations that we're going to have. And so if you're a team right now wanting to enter into Cosmos, start as a smart contract, pick the right chain for you. If you have product market fit and you start having growth, you can always move to the app chain. Um, we had the luxury to do that before. So now we can bear the fruits, but the equation in this current market infrastructure is not the same as it was one and a half or two years ago. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I, I, I talk to a lot of people about this and I think that increasingly it's going to become harder and harder for chains to be app chains. Um, you know, that will be reserved to, to a few chains that uh, have sufficient usage and uh, to be able to generate like enough revenue to, to sustain yep. themselves. And, um, and some chains will like, uh, downgrade, but like not downgrade. It's not, like, it's not a detrimental term, but like downgrade in terms of sovereignty to, yep. to become a roll-up, like to become more lean know, as well, Low to expense. become more lean and, and less expensive. <laughs> and, and so, um, yeah, did, um, so I, 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 I was told, I was talking with someone yesterday who was on a spaces where like Sonny was talking for three hours about osmosis merging with the Cosmos hub. Uh, it was the first time that I talked, I heard about it. Did you hear about this or was were yeah, you yeah, to this yeah. information? Yeah. I mean, it's public. Yeah. I, heard I know it. it's public, but like I, I hadn't, um, I wasn't on the spaces and I, I, I haven't heard him talk about that. Uh, yeah. what's the, what, what's the idea here? Yeah. Oh, what's the idea generally? Uh, from my understanding, the idea is that Cosmos needs a unified center. We need less fragmentation, right? We've been talking about this for a couple of minutes now yeah. already. I think the entire space knows this. We need consolidation on efforts uh, onto underlying assets. If you have 15 dev teams working in 15 assets versus 15 dev teams working in three assets, chances are high those assets become more attractive. Right, one of the biggest modes of Ethereum is how many freaking teams working on small uh, are on Ethereum, right? And so I think the goal here is to strengthen Cosmos and make it undeniably center of future DeFi. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I generally there's been spaces of me talking about this before. This was like you know any knowledge or had any idea. Um, there's there's been public uh, talk and generally comments from me as well. Um, I mean, after I knew as well, but also before that consolidation and acquisitions and mergers are always a trend in bear markets because everyone has to revisit and re-ask themselves attractiveness on all fronts. Um, and so I think this is a bullish sentence because it improves user experience. It improves the effort into singular assets that is being put in. It improves direction and it also aligns incentives, which is one of the most crucial things that we can always do anywhere in any market is if incentives are aligned, you have success. If incentives are not aligned, you don't have success. Any politician in history ever, whatever country, whatever political party, I don't care, that's been called bad by a vast amount of people, chances are 100% that it's because that's, this person did not have the same incentives aligned as the people that voted for that person. Chances are also 100% that whatever politician in the world for whatever party for whatever that's been praised as a good person that's been praised as someone doing good stuff, had their incentives aligned with the population. Incentive alignment is crucial to the ecosystem. And I think this is a bullish sentiment for us and we should rally behind it. So I want to come back to like the original thing I was, I was asking you about because we've kind of yeah. veered away from it is like what's going on in the background when 
So like earlier when I when I deposited Osmo and Adam yeah. into this yes, dynamic sure. A vault. Let's go exactly through that. What what is happening yes. uh, to so, the tokens? What are the IBC transfers that are happening? Like what's the flow yes. of transactions between contracts? And then importantly, also when I unstake, when I yes. sort of like un un when I withdraw the capital, yes. uh, what happens and what are the uh, say like lockup periods that might exist or these sorts of things. Absolutely. So first of all, no lockup periods. Everybody be happy now. Uh, also, secondly, the APR we're showing is after performance fees. What you're seeing is what you're getting. There's no more fees from the number we're showing. So what is happening? The smart contract on Osmosis would get your deposit. So you are doing an action on our front end that tells the smart contract, I would like to deposit funds. Depending on where the range is, depending on the assets, the percentages are different. Obviously, we are improving that user experience. There's a lot of work happening right now. We're waiting on Osmosis on something, so there's some dependencies, but the goal is that you can just have a singular asset deposit as well, or even different asset deposit, and we do the swapping for you. So the deposits go into the vault, the smart contract. They don't leave the Osmosis chain. The contract takes the deposit, calculates your amount of vault shares. So this is an, an, a new and a token, effectively, that you are getting in the background that is assigned to you and tells you how much of the vault position you own. The vault now takes the liquidity, and deposits it into its current range. I'll go, I'm going to get back to ranges in a second. So now your liquidity is deposited in the range of the vault. If the vault changes its range, your liquidity moves with it, and you are accruing the rewards based on what the entire vault is getting, calculating down to your share of it, so effectively how much you put into it. If you want to withdraw, the vault takes the vault shares, calculates the underlying assets, gives you back your underlying assets. Your rewards are distributed, I think, currently every hour or so. I mean, it also always depends on how busy Osmosis is, but I mean, they're accrued all the time, but they're given to people to be withdrawable at least a couple times a day. So it's not like you have to wait for every epoch or like every or like once a week. Um, and you can withdraw your assets, which means they show up on your Osmosis front end. So if you go to Osmosis asset page, that's where your rewards accrue. And so the, um, the rewards are accruing uh, in say Osmo, right? Like if you're, if you're. Okay. Okay. So that's a good question. So it depends on the pool that the vault is in because effectively the pool, there's, there's multiple ranges of pools in Osmosis. There is incentivized pools by Osmosis, which means Osmo rewards. There is incentivized pools incentivized by two parties. So that is Osmosis plus a partner. So in instance, our USDT USDC vault is getting Kava and Osmo rewards. And then there is a third one, which is only swap fees. And obviously swap fees also go into first and second version of pool so yeah the composition of your rewards depends on the underlying pool and on osmosis and the underlying assets as well so some of them are going to get majority incentives some of them are going to get majority um the trading fees some of them are going to get a mix so and are, they, are these positions so it's like when you're interacting with osmosis and uh basically doing this tick optimization mm -hmm. Uh, are you are you bonding? Is, 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 are those positions also oh. bonded? For... No. no, they're not. There's no, no, there's no more bonding in CL, thankfully. So that means there's no uh. withdrawal. You don't have to wait. You can withdraw your money all the time. Like, right. obviously, sometimes the smalls is down and nodes are down, but like there's no lockup yeah. period. So you can withdraw your funds, which also the, the way that Osmosis reward distribution rewards are happening now in uh, CL vaults is based on how capital efficient your deployment is. So it, it, it preferences tighter ranges which means you have to change ranges quicker. To answer the, about the range changes, how that works. So the data provider is not the asset manager. You don't have a hedge fund that is managing your money, but it's taking it, saying thank you, doing the actions, and you ask them for your money back. So what that contract that address can do is it can adjust the ranges, and that's all it can do. It cannot pull the liquidity. It cannot upgrade the smart contract. Those are different addresses belonging to either a quasi-association or Quasar Community or Quasar Labs. So those are, there's a split in responsibilities and permissions, permissions which makes the vaults much more secure. And the data provider can propose a new range. It's approved in a, in a middle step where we make sure that like the range is not faulty. And if it goes through, the vault adjusts, swaps into the new range. Now, right now, the vaults have single range support, which means a vault has one range. We're currently developing multi-range. I don't want to give a timeline, but I think within a month is like targeted, which means a single vault can have multiple ranges. Why is that important? It addresses the biggest uh, mishap, the biggest unhappiness of users right now, which is why is our vault capped? Well, our vault is capped because we have 70 to 75% of the entire liquidity of that pool, which is great, 
but it makes us literally meme insert uh, DJ Khaled suffering from success. Because if the vault has to rebalance, it means it pulls liquidity out and swaps into the new range. It, can, it does that against the liquidity that is not in the vault. So if the vault were to have 90% of the pool liquidity and it would have to do a swap against 10% of the pool liquidity, slippage would be high, really, really high. So that means that currently we have to cap how much of a pool a vault can own without risking too much slippage on range changes. Once we have multi-range, the vault trades against its own liquidity. So instead of having one big change of the entire liquidity moving, you have maybe the tight range moving against our medium range, and then maybe later the medium range moving against our wide range, which means at that point, the vault can be the entire CL pool and not incur a massive slippage. Um, and once we have that, we don't have we don't need to have caps anymore. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and so let's talk about the, the so the strategy. I mean, obviously, there's like two types of users of Quasar, as I understand it. You have the liquidity providers, like so like people yeah. who are depositing liquidity into these vaults, and then you have um, strategists, right? Like people yeah. who create vaults and uh, deploy strategies. Yeah, I think the the user side is fairly obvious how that how that works uh, how, how how does the how do strategists or vault yes. creators whatever i don't know exactly how you call so, them but, uh how, how do they interact with the platform yes um is there like a governance system that yes. allows them to create these vaults and yeah can you describe all that so the, the answer to this is going to severely change every single week for the next eight weeks because we are working hard on that effectively so what i can tell you is here's the the kind of the goal that we want to get it to as soon as possible as soon as possible, we want a strategist who usually knows Python. That's what strategies are written in hedge funds and quants is Python. Want someone that knows Python and nothing else to be able to click on deploy vault, pick their pool and the chain that the pool is on. So like osmosis or neutron and then the pool. Click on deploy, get their multi-sig range access effectively where they can post the ranges. And then we're gonna we have a front end. It already we have an alpha like alpha version of this internally, but we're gonna have it obviously publicly for those strategies soon, where you have you see your different vault positions and you can literally add in the ranges and click adjust. At which point the entire vault adjusts the range. So at that point you don't need to know the Quasar Labs team, you don't need to know anyone. It is a truly permissionless deployment of that. Um, okay, so that's number one. Number two is the road to this involves obviously improving how much dev hours these strategists need. Uh, right now, Cosmosm devs are rare. So the less Cosmosm is necessary, the better. Uh, there is some design proposals we have around that where the Quasar Association, in effect, the Quasar Community Governance, which the association is a legal Swiss association that is legally required to enact uh, on-chain uh, votes. So not like Arbitrum, but like actually required to enact on-chain votes is going to update and maintain all vaults, uh, but just the vault code. So not the liquidity in the vaults, just the actual vault code. So for instance, once we have multi-range, the chain can vote in to update the vaults to multi-range, and then we would update them to multi-range. And anyone that deployed a vault would suddenly have a new feature. Um, similarly, the deployment of vaults is going to be permissionless. However, there's obviously a front-end question, which is something that Osmosis, for example, has been looking at long, which is why they had Frontier which was permissionless, and now they've merged it into one, right? So there's a lot to unravel on the legal side, and there's a lot of considerations to do on the legal side, because as a VC-funded project with a Swiss entity, no, we'd, we would not like to be cowboys that are not caring about any law. Um, that needs to be monitored how we're going to do that moving forward and how that changes. But in essence, uh, the goal is that the front end only shows kind of whitelisted, validated vaults. Um, simply because just because you can't pull liquidity from a vault, just because you can't rug a vault, doesn't mean that the strategist knows what they're doing or there's any quality standard. So there's going to have to still be, as always in TradFi, a level of who is this person? Who is this team? Do they know what they're doing? Are they doxxed? Which, for example, with our first strategist partner, DLL, all of those are checked. People know who DLL is. They're public, they've been doing this for a long time, they have a track record, they're, they're legit, they do a lot of data science for sommelier, they're all they're partially the team behind Real Yield uh, ETH and BTC. 
So there, there is this trust factor. And any strategist coming in, uh, it's not our job, right? Quasar Labs is strictly a development company in, uh, enacted by the Quasar chain to work on the Quasar chain. Um, it is not our job, but these strategists are going to have to show to the community why they're trustworthy and why you should let them adjust your ranges. And I think that the talent pool there is big enough that we're going to have a couple strategies and different strategies with different expertise levels, some stable pools, some liquid stake pools, some leveraged stuff, some CL. There's going to be a, a, a vast different set of strategies doing different things in the future. So, yeah, talk a little bit about like DLL and what kind of work they're doing. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like how they interact with the chain and to what extent they have to, or like DLL or any other strategists, like uh, to what extent they have to reason with governance and yeah. like what are the types of things where, where they require <laughs> sort of community vote or governance vote and where do yeah. they have, you know, let more just uh, where they can just interact with the strategy perhaps or Badly. change values, etc. So, so the goal is to use governance efficiently, right? Because I think there, there's kind of a middle ground between what you use governance for and what you don't use it for. Um, any vault deployed by the Quasar protocol, man, by any strategist or data provider, is going to have a performance fee for the Quasar protocol, right? Currently, the Quasar protocol is making money on every single vault, uh, every single CL vault. So there's a performance fee that the, the Quasar chain gets. So the Quasar chain is hopefully, depends on governance, obviously, interested in approving future strategists and also potentially giving them grants. You know, they got a grant, so that needs to be approved by governance. Um, to be able to deploy these vaults and to be able to be aligned with Quasar and the Quasar token and the mission. Um, the range updates are not subject to governance, um, but there is, again, an admin kind of a safety block to make sure that the range, for example, if, if a vault provider were to update a range that's already out of range, uh, we're working on automated systems around that, so there's no, you know, not even a human going through that, that's going to be like, no, you can't do that. You know, because that would be a bad trade. If you move your range completely out of range, it means the slippage is going to be really bad and it's just not a good trade. Um, similarly, if you have independent strategists, again, it's up to them to reason with the, de de develop, like the deployers of the vault. There's been something that we've talked about for a long time that requires gigantic dev hours and maybe someone else is going to pick it up in Cosmos, hopefully, or we have some time to do it soon. But vault-based governance. So effectively a module for multi-token governance, which means that only the people in the specific vault can approve specific changes to that vault. That's going to allow basically only the people to have skin in the game to be the ones that have say in the game. Um, however, it's by the design of the vault impossible for a vault provider to change what a vault is doing without governance approval. So for instance, if a vault currently is on a singular pool, and only can update ranges in a pool, and the strategist wants to move the pool, it has to be approved by governance because the association has to update the contract for this. So there's no way for a vault creator to be like, oh, you know, today I, I told you you're investing in USDT, USCC, but actually I'm moving your funds now to, to uh, you know, uh, whatever, Juno, Osmo, right? Um, that's not possible. That's subject to governance. Okay. And... Um... Yeah, well, I mean, looking forward here, uh, you guys are currently, I mean, all, all of the all of the vaults on Quasar are concentrated liquidity pools or some sort of like liquid staking pool on Osmosis. Um, what are your plans to expand to other AMMs, have other yep. types of strategies, whether that's like Astroport or uh, like Injective, et cetera? And, yep. and more, I, I think, one thing I'm really curious about is, you know, when do we start seeing like Bitcoin liquidity and Ethereum mm -hmm. liquidity mm -hmm. um, pools? Because, you know, as you mentioned earlier, like one of the most important things I think for Cosmos right now is bringing liquidity to the space. Uh, yeah. Bitcoin and Ethereum are like the two biggest sources of yeah. liquidity. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, always been our goal and it continues to be our goal to expand as much as possible. But there needs to be a realistic factor about where is the yield and where is volume. And right now, it's clearly osmosis, which doesn't mean we're already we're not already looking at you know what else to expand to. And also on osmosis, there's Levana and Mars, right? So there's more stuff to do on osmosis. Actually, today, like we are on our uh, company offsite here uh, in in Istanbul, so everyone's here right now. 
and we've had an ungodly five, six hour nonstop meeting. No, like, there's no lights in this room. There's no windows discussing every single potential opportunity, roadmap item, how much product market fit, how much of a facilitator for existing products, what's the attractiveness level, what's the user demand, what's the dev hours it takes. We've been going through that a lot today. So this is a very fitting question timeline-wise for me because we've just discussed this so, so much. But I can tell you that we have a very clear, super packed- It's all the alpha right here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, okay, I, I can tell you this. So skip API, which is going to allow us to let you deposit any asset on any IBC enabled chain into any vault. If you have that's Juno huge, yeah. on Cosmos Hub, you that's can- the, one That's click the pinnacle of user experience, I think, in Cosmos. Yeah. If you have Juno on Cosmos Hub, you can one click or two click deposit into our Osmo Atom LP pool, uh, CL pool, right? That's coming up. Um, more strategies, more vaults, more CL. It, it depends on where the yield is, right? I think like there's so many cool products in Cosmos, but at the end of the day, the way Quasar as a protocol works is it's dependent on volume, it's dependent on incentives, it's dependent on liquidity to some degree, simply because there's so much interest in what we can work on and how, what we're being pinged on that we need to be very picky to get you know the, the best lowest hanging fruit. Um, I think there's going to be more clarity on this in Cosmoverse, but I gave you, I gave you a little scoop. I gave you a little scoop. And what about leveraged uh, vaults? Yeah, I, I saw that okay, in one sure. of your blog posts. What, what is sure. a leveraged yeah. vault? A leveraged vault would be, a, for example, 2x or 3x LP position. So effectively, you let's say you LP into USDT, USDC. So you get X amount of liquidity, X amount of incentives. Um, if you do a leveraged vault, you would go minus. So you would subtract the, the funding rate that you're exposed to, right? For borrowing, you have to pay for borrowing. And you would add the rate of APR of the underlying pool. So for example, a 3x USDT, USDC pool would have three times the rewards minus the borrowing rate that you pay for, which is going to allow you to get more yield and, and be even more capital efficient. Um, yeah, that's a plan. You know, obviously, again, like timeline wise, if people were sitting in a room with us today, they'd be like, Jesus, we it would be nice to have 100 developers right now. Um, but yeah, it's it's clearly a very interesting product that I would be hyped to use. I mean, it's, you know, you know, you have product market fit if you ask the team going from multi-year DeFi native to, you know, first DeFi job, you ask them, would you use this? All hands go up. Yeah, kind of, you can kind of assume product market fit. So yeah, leverage world, super interesting. Cool, yeah. I guess um, well, maybe one question we didn't address here, and I know we're sort of going along here on time, but you know, what what is the what is the risk that users need to reason about when using Quasar? I mean, there, with any yeah. as with any platform, right? There's some yeah. risk, right? There's like if you're using yeah. stablecoin, there may be DPEG risk. If you're using, yeah. there might be smart contract risk or uh, bridge risk. So yes. yeah, walk us through that, like. Sure. That, that so reasoning. clearly, as with anything DeFi, you have smart contract risk. Uh, we get our smart contracts audited by Hellborn. Once a month, we have an entire audit. Um, we're going to start publishing those audits, but all our code is open source. So anyone that is you know very techy can judge the risk for themselves. But we don't take shortcuts. We get audited all the time. We don't deploy without audits. So, yeah, there you go. But smart contract risk, they're not always the case. Um, the bridging risk is completely relate, uh, completely dependent on the underlying assets. If underlying assets are DeFi, uh, IBC native, and Cosmos native, you don't have bridging risk. If you're investing into a pool with underlying assets that are bridged, you're exposed to bridging risk. That's something that we don't control. That's what the underlying pools, the underlying assets are. Um, apart from that, the strategist uh, needs to know what they're doing, right? So you are potentially exposed to bad capital deployment. But I can already tell you that that is highly unlikely because the strategist has a performance fee. They want the highest performance. We talked about incentive alignment. Incentive could not be clearer aligned. The strategist wants as much deal as possible because they get a cut from it. Um, yeah, I would say those are those are the risks you're exposed to. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that uh, probably the the the, lar the the biggest risk here is the smart contract ri smart contract risk. I mean, it sounds like you guys are mitigating that uh to, to the best of look man i'll tell you this but, yeah. i'll tell you this nothing in life is guaranteed and DeFi is a crazy space but if i look at how many hacks happen to unaudited protocols like the amount of protocols that have never been audited that are getting hacked my name is doxed i'm public i live for crypto i'm not leaving this space soon 
you know, I don't need to be rich next year. I have time. My life's long. I'm trying to build something here that lasts. And if I would, if I, if I can do what I can to decrease the hack risk, I'm fucking doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine I'm spending three years of some of the, you know, best years of my life, highest energy years of my life, the early 20s, mid 20s on something just to have it evaporate the next day because I did some shortcuts on security. Would be hard to sleep after that. Obviously, knock on wood, that never happens, but we are doing everything we can to decrease that risk because our, yeah, if you go to the team page on Quasar, I don't think a lot of crypto teams do that. That's maybe something interesting to point out. You see faces, you see names, you see backgrounds. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, what are, you mo- I mean, what are you most excited about in Cosmos DeFi and what do you think is the biggest challenge ahead for the interchain in terms of, yeah, I mean, yeah. liquidity, adoption, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think consolidated vision is going to be a challenge, but we're working on it. Not to say we're not, you know, the Atom Osmo merger, that's an interesting Hopefully one. Hopefully it'll all be resolved after next week. We'll figure yes. it all out in three days. Four days <laughs> yeah. Um, next we, weekend, we're all aligned. Everybody knows what's going on. Vision um, for Cosmos. All go home and next... it's freaking the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, liquidity is obviously the big and obvious ones. We just need more liquidity, which is also tackled. ETH IBC, native USDC by Noble. It's coming. Um, professionalism needs to increase, which is also increasing. A lot of teams coming into, into Cosmos that are very professional. Skip, DYDX, Osmosis as always, many other teams. Uh, yeah, really, really good there. Uh, what's the most exciting on Cosmos DeFi? I think expanding IBC capabilities to leverage multiple protocols and multiple chains under a singular product. So basically, once you can have yeah leveraged vaults using Yumi or Mars or having a, a, a vault deposit between Ethereum products and Cosmos products or looping between those or arbitraging, like anything that involves DeFi as a facilitator for more complex products, technically and easier products for users, I'm hyper bullish on that. Same. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, Valentin, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a really fascinating conversation. Uh, I've learned a lot and uh, certainly like I've had a couple of DeFi protocols on lately and it's made me want to uh, pay a little bit more attention to my own portfolio. <laughs> you know, as, oh, yeah. as, a, as a fund, you know, we like we we spend a lot of time trying to manage our LPs portfolio, but right. unfortunately our portfolio kind of falls to the wayside. But uh, um, <laughs> like the, I think I think there's like really interesting stuff happening in Cosmos DeFi and yes. uh and that's really exciting and yeah, really, really pleased that you guys are working on this. Thanks. Thanks again. See you next week. Thank you. Thanks. And everyone. hopefully we'll see a lot of listeners next week. Uh, I don't know how many people listen to this, but uh, let me know if you do. I want to see when you see me at Cosmoverse. Come, come say hi. Cheers. Cheers.